Welcome to By the Fire. I'm your host, Dave Smale, and this is Captured. Chapter 2. Doing Hard Time. Foothill Area Jail, Pacoima, California. This is strike three, Diaz, the booking officer had said with a condescending smirk. You're out. The statement had replayed in his head hundreds of times since his arrival. He had two prior serious offenses, manslaughter, when an enormous gang fight erupted during a party, Raul had severely beaten three men, permanently disabling one, and armed robbery when he held up an AMPM mini-mart as part of his initiation into the gang. Therefore, his penalty for possession of a controlled substance would be greatly multiplied. In the California penal system, he was considered a habitual offender. He had a few other misdemeanors, which only worsened his plight. But there were many, many other things for which he had never been caught. If they only knew. He'd languished at Foothill for the past six months, hating every moment of it. Rotting away in a jail cell, awaiting an inevitable 30-year sentence to rot in a prison cell, Raoul fell into a deep depression. He'd be in his 50s when he got out. If he got out, which was unlikely. He'd probably be sent to California State Prison, Los Angeles County, often called Lancaster, since that's where it was. It was the closest state pen to Pacoima, which meant he'd be locked up with rival gangsters and members of La M.A., the Mexican Mafia. In short, he'd be killed in Lancaster. Though hopeless, he still tried to keep up his hardened image, a common thing for people in his circumstance. Raoul pretended to be unfazed by his situation. Jail was a minor setback, an inconvenience. Now prison, that was a badge of honor. If only he believed it. Even so, his time at Foothill was not a total waste. During his booking, the officer asked, You a junior? Indeed, he was. Looks like there might be a family reunion, huh? The officer joked. The possibility that his biological father might be in the same jail was unlikely, but it still made Raul nauseous. His was a common name in the Hispanic community, so he paid it no mind at the time. A few days later, his cellmate informed him of another inmate, some guy they called Toro, who looked a lot like him. He soon learned it was the man who shared his name. Could it be? It was three weeks before he met the man since they were placed at opposite ends of the jail, and the place was packed beyond capacity. When Raul saw the man they called Toro, he was stunned. He was looking at an older version of himself. Even Raoul had to admit there was no doubt the man was his father. His deeply wrinkled face looked beaten down by both the sun and life itself. He had a four-inch scar across his forehead 
and another about the same length diagonally carved in his left cheek. His salt and pepper hair was short and combed back. He had a teardrop tattooed at the edge of his left eye, indicating that he had taken someone's life while locked up. In a word, the man was ugly. Is this what I'll look like when I get out? Raoul wondered. Raoul approached the elder Diaz, who was seated on a bench smoking a cigarette. The man regarded Raoul for only a moment, then shifted his gaze to the happenings in the jail yard. Orale vato, Raoul said, the customary greeting akin to, what's up dude? Toro did not look at him or speak. The only indication that he acknowledged Raoul was a quick, upward head tilt. I hear you got a name like mine, Raoul said. Yeah, what they call you, Toro said, uninterested. Cuchillo, Raoul replied. Toro shrugged. Raoul's street name did not jog the man's memory, but Raoul didn't figure it would. But my mama calls me Raoul. No response. When I was a niño, she called me Junior, Raoul said. Toro eyed Raoul again for a second before refocusing his attention on the yard. He took another drag from his cigarette. Your mama, eh? He said through a smoky exhale. Raoul nodded. What's her name? Toro asked. Leticia. The older man shrugged again. Raoul began to describe her. At first, Toro showed no reaction. Raoul's mother sounded like most of the women in his neighborhood. Five foot three, brown hair, brown eyes. But she had one distinguishing characteristic. Her left eye is lazy, Raoul said. The old man nodded. Your recuerdo. I remember. Raoul's eyes widened and his heart quickened. It was difficult for him to mask his hope that Toro would give him some kind of acknowledgement, acceptance. But no such thing came. Instead, the older man sneered, then chuckled. We called her Floha. Raoul reeled. Floha meant lazy, an obvious insult based on his mom's physical impairment. But it had another meaning. Loose. She was a puta, Toro added. A flash of anger swept behind Raoul's eyes. Puta was Chicano slang for whore. It made him furious. But he had to admit, he had observed the same thing over the years. Multiple boyfriends, two dozen at least, had come in and out of her life as far back as he could remember. Most of them had been gang members. Yeah, why she named me after you then? Raoul asked. Toro shrugged. She knew where she was. Probably didn't want you to be a hijo de puta. Son of a whore. My name used to have some respect around the hood. Not no more, though. Raoul's temperature reached boiling point as Toro stood to leave. So that's it? Raoul asked. Don't know what to tell you, kid. Don't know what you want me to say. I'm your son. How about nice to meet you, son? Raoul said. How I know you're my son? I don't. 
It was true. A DNA test would be the only real way to determine if they were related. But if their names and likenesses weren't enough evidence, Raoul doubted the man standing before him would ever believe a DNA test either. Okay, so let's say I am, Raoul said. The older man shrugged, looked away, and took another hit of his cigarette. Long time ago, he said. Like 25 years? Raoul asked. I guess. Like I said, that girl was a puta, his father said. Hey, I've been with lots of putas, but quit calling my mama one, Raoul demanded. The older man looked at him, his gaze icy. Look, Vato, Toro began. I get it. You think you're my kid, and I ain't never been around, so now you hate me. You want to kill me. I'd feel the same way. I never knew my father. But let me tell you something. I'm in here on my third strike. I get my sentence in two days. I'm going to the pen, Vato. The pen. First degree murder. I ain't never getting out. I got nothing to lose. So if you're gonna do something, I'm right here. Toro spread his arms. Make your move and make it count, Chico, he added. The adrenaline pumped through Raul's veins. He breathed heavy. Only two options ran through his mind. Pummel the older man into the concrete, or squelch his anger and let him walk out with his life. Raul paused, trying desperately to control both his thoughts and his breathing. The man, his father, had rejected him while simultaneously calling his mother a whore. The guy didn't deserve to live. Kill him? Or let him walk. Kill him? Let him walk. Which one? His heart pounded. Finally, he opted for the latter. After all, he hadn't been to trial yet. I'm going to the pen too, Raul managed. Felicitaciones. Congratulations, Toro said. Better hope we don't run into each other again, huh? Yeah, for your sake, Raul thought. The older man turned to leave. Raul clenched his fist, fighting the urge to attack. Suddenly, Toro stopped and looked over his shoulder. Tell you what, he said. If I am your father, I've got some free advice for you. Toro pivoted, looked Raul in the eye and said, Don't be like me. The old gangster chuckled as he turned around walking inside the main building. Raoul watched him as he stepped through the doors and disappeared inside. His throat clenched and his eyes filled with tears. An emotion rose to the surface that he'd never felt before. It was the sting of rejection. He couldn't hold the sobs back. They grew in intensity until Raoul's face was in his hands, weeping openly. The feeling was potent and only increased as the moments passed, as if it had always been there, just behind an emotional wall that he'd built. And there was only one person on the planet able to penetrate the facade, and that person had just done it. After a few minutes, a guard yelled at him to get back to his cell. Frustrated, Raoul pounded his fist on his thigh. 
As the tears stopped, the thoughts kept coming. He wondered if his mother wanted nothing to do with his father, why in the world would she name him after the man? If he ever saw her again, he'd ask. But she hadn't visited up to that point. In fact, no one had. Not even his fellow gang members, some of whom were his cousins. He hated to admit it, but it hurt. Deeply. The feeling was similar to his father's rejection, though not as intense. Later that evening, after Raoul had burned off some steam in the jail's weight room and taken a shower, he lay on his bunk, staring at the ceiling deep in thought. Meeting with his father had unexpectedly produced a profound side effect. Though he had been utterly rejected by the man, a void that he was previously unaware of had been filled, at least partially. He'd have preferred for his father to accept him, to embrace him even. Tell him he would have been in his life if he had known of his existence. Since none of that had happened, Raoul decided to take his father's advice. Don't be like me. Raoul resolved that if he were to ever get out of prison 30 years from now, he would put maximum distance between himself and gang life. Would he make it that long? No. Strike three, Diaz. You're out. But maybe he could start now. He'd heard of inmates making the most of their time in prison, getting college educations, even getting married. Maybe he could do that. Get smart. Find love. Get married. Maybe in 30 years his gang wouldn't be around anymore. Eh, not likely. They'd already been around for over 50 years when he'd joined, and they were still growing. Who am I kidding? There's only one way out. You had to be jumped out. In like manner, you were jumped in. Several fellow gang members would take turns giving you the worst beating of your life. The only difference was, they showed mercy when jumping in a new member. After all, they needed you alive to be part of their gang. The same rule didn't apply when being jumped out. There was no reason for them to hold back. If he made it out of prison, the only way out of the gang was death. As the name of the famous movie stated, blood in, blood out. When he'd been in the Foothill Jail over five and a half months, his mother suddenly paid him a visit. She looked at him, only briefly through the bulletproof glass, before looking away. He caught a glimpse of her lazy eye. His stomach turned, remembering his conversation with his father. Raul, she said in her thick Spanish accent, you cannot come home. He knew what she meant. He was no longer welcome. Yeah, he replied. Looks like it's your lucky day. I'm on my third strike. By the time I get out, you'll be dead. She shook her head. Tears formed in her eyes and she sobbed. Trembling, she fought to keep her composure. Sensing he'd hurt her enough for now, he changed the subject. How is Sophia, Mama? She ignored his question. I don't know who you are. You are no me son. She sniffled, wiped her eyes with a tissue and switched back to Spanish. 
No quiero tener nada que ver con usted más. I want nothing to do with you anymore. You don't want nothing to do with me? Oh, just like my dad, right? He answered in English, knowing his mother understood it far better than she spoke it. She grimaced. De que habla? What are you talking about? What am I talking about? I met him. He was in here too, mama. He told me what happened. Her eyes widened. She hesitated. He tell you? He's a cholo, mama. He knew who you were. He said you were just some puta. She recoiled as if he'd slapped her. I don't get it. Why you name me after him? Raul asked. He stared at her for several tense beats, awaiting a response, but none came. Leticia's fears flowed like rain. Raul's patience wore thin. This conversation was going nowhere. You know what he told me, Mama? He glowered, bawling a fist. She shifted her tear-filled eyes to meet his. He told me not to be like him. The words hung in the air between them like years of dirty laundry. Leticia looked down, formulating a response. After another uncomfortable silence, she spoke. I don't want you to be like him, she said. But you are like him. I am nothing like him, Mama. Answer me. Why you name me after him, he shouted. Porque? She paused, her sobs returning. I want you to find him one day. Raul grimaced. Why? He asked. In broken English, she stammered. I want you find him and kill him. Raul stared at her, stupefied. His mother had never been the smartest lady. In fact, she was one of the stupidest people he'd ever known. Why should I? He paused, glancing over his shoulder at the guards. They were close enough to hear his every word. One of them was staring at him. After his outburst, they were watching him closely. If they heard him say the word kill, even in Spanish, they'd detain him. Why, just because he hooked up with you and left? Me violo, she cried. Raul's mind attempted to translate and process what she had just said. Me violo. He raped me. The weight of her statement hit him like a Mack truck as she broke into inconsolable wailing. He wasn't a kid whose father had left. Not the product of a one-night stand or the son of a whore. He was a child of rape? Standing abruptly, Leticia slammed the phone in its cradle and made haste out of the booth. What? Raul erupted. Hey! Get back here, Mama! He dropped the phone, cursed, and pounded on the glass with his shackled hands. Two officers leapt into action, restraining him from behind. Why you didn't tell me? He hollered as if she could hear him. In the next moment, his face met the floor, the weight of two guards crushing him. Get off me! He instinctively blurted. Get her back here! I wasn't done! What about Sophia? Raul was frantic, hysterical. Shut up, one of the officers yelled in his ear. She need to answer me. 
Raoul cried. It was the last thing he screamed before being tased. Two weeks later, Raoul stepped into the courtroom for his sentencing. An officer escorted him to a seat at the defendant's table next to a public defender. The courtroom was frigid, half a degree above freezing, Raoul guessed. The judge was already seated when they brought him out. The man did not look up at him, and Raoul got the feeling this little meeting wouldn't last long. In his many years in gangs, Raoul had been in more harrowing situations than he could remember, but none of them seemed as precarious as this courtroom. The bailiff read the charges, the legal jargon making it sound eviler than he remembered. He was scared, more scared than he'd ever been in his life. His heart thumped, body trembled, and a bead of perspiration appeared on his forehead despite the frozen air. Mr. Diaz, do you understand the charges against you? The judge asked. Yes, your honor, he stammered. The judge hadn't looked up, nor regarded Raoul's presence at all, except to ask him the question. The man seemed cold, colder even than the courtroom. And you understand that this is your third strike? Raoul knew it all too well, but being reminded of it by a judge who had the power to delve out the punishment was more sobering than he had anticipated. He swallowed hard. The judge would surely execute judgment to the maximum extent possible and be done with Raoul without ever even looking up. Raoul felt like he'd swallowed his own throat. The judge shuffled through a stack of papers, stopping intermittently to write something. In his panic, Raoul nearly forgot to answer. Yes, you're... On or honor, he said shakily. The judge suddenly looked up from his papers, locking his gaze on Raoul. For all his muscles, scars, and jailhouse tattoos which jutted from beneath his city-issued smock, Raoul looked like a four-year-old left alone in a dark room full of imaginary monsters. The judge beheld him for a moment before speaking. You're charged with felony possession of a controlled substance. How do you plead? He hesitated, finding it difficult to form the word. He looked at the public defender. Was she supposed to answer? Was she supposed to do anything? She was looking at a folder full of papers as if she hadn't heard the judge. She also looked like she was probably 16 years old. Guilty, Raoul managed. The judge eyed him for another moment as if pondering something. You know, I have the legal authority to send you to prison for upwards of 30 years. The judge paused, observing Raoul's behavior. He watched as Raoul blanched, winced, took a nervous breath, as if bracing for impact. He tried to look the judge in the eye, but couldn't. Mr. Diaz, the judge said, not that this has any bearing on your case, but do you have any kids? No. Your Honor, uh, just, just a little sister. Little sister? How old is she? Five. I see. They're cute at that age. What's her name? Raoul looked up, meeting the judge's eyes. They weren't what he expected. 
but warm, compassionate. They put Raoul a little more at ease. Sophia, he answered. It's a pretty name. So you think Sophia's proud of her big brother right now? Raoul winced from the sting of guilt, failure. His mind involuntarily leapt to the last time he'd seen Sophia's adorable face staring out the window as he was being hauled off to jail. He hung his head and shook it slowly as shame overcame him. Silence filled the courtroom for what seemed like ten minutes. I'd like to take a brief recess before sentencing. Let's reconvene in, oh, twenty minutes, the judge said, hastily rising from his bench and exiting the court. Raoul's teenage public defender looked up from her folder and stared, mouth agape, at the empty bench. I'll be right back. Stay here, she said in Raoul's general direction. She grabbed her small black purse and jetted from the courtroom while fishing out her smartphone. Many of the other occupants of the courtroom funneled out the doors as well. Only Raoul, the two officers who were charged with watching him, and a single spectator remained. The minutes spent waiting for the judge to return seemed far more than twenty in the frigid, quiet courtroom. Only the clock on the wall disagreed. All rise, the bailiff said as the judge re-entered the courtroom. The judge was a middle-aged man, maybe fifty-five or sixty, Raoul guessed. His brown hair was short, yet it puffed around his ears where patches of gray also resided. He had a slight accent of some kind. Maybe southern United States, Raoul wasn't certain. One thing was for sure, it wasn't an accent that was heard very often in southern California. You can all be seated, said the judge. He looked intently at Raoul and then said, Mr. Diaz, the reason I wanted to take a recess before sentencing is because I needed to do some research. You see, I know that the law would call you a habitual offender, and in legal terms, I'd have to agree. But I think I see something in you that I hardly ever see in the people who stand before me. You know what that is? Uh, Raoul looked at the teeny bopper masquerading as his lawyer. She shrugged. No, your honor, Raoul said, shaking his head. Remorse. Not that remorse itself is cause for declaring someone innocent, but just hear me out for a minute. Like I got a choice, Raoul thought. Now, back a few years, years, heck, decades ago, when I was in Vietnam, I seem to recall a few of the men I served with saying that a judge told them that they had a choice. Jail or join? Well, as it turns out, the military doesn't do that anymore. Back then, the war wasn't popular and they needed people to join, so they'd take anybody. But since then, all the services have made rules against it. Except for the Navy. They have nothing in their instructions preventing it. The only way they can keep it from happening is by a recruiter disqualifying the person on some other grounds. Our state penitentiary is terribly overcrowded. So I think, between the overcrowding and my gut instinct telling me that you'd do well for yourself and your family if you just got out of Pacoima, I'm willing to extend you some grace. So, it's jail or join, son. Do you understand? Raoul's 
eyes were as wide as Texas. The whole courtroom, observers and all muttered comments ranging from amazement to outrage. Yes, Your Honor. Well, what's it going to be? Yes, yes, take it, his teenage lawyer whispered in his ear. Instinctively, Raoul's mind told him not to take the deal. To take a deal and avoid going to the state pen? He'd be considered a punk, a sellout. He'd be dishonoring the gang, his gang, the organization he'd pledged his life to, the fraternity to which he'd given all his time and a heck of a lot of blood for, his own blood and others. Yet, a thought struck him. No one had bothered to visit him while he was in jail. Why should he care about dishonoring them? He was about to go to prison for 30 years because it was honorable? What really mattered to him was his familia. Sophia, his abuela, and, despite her disowning him, his mother. If he joined the military, an idea that repulsed him, at least he might still be able to see them, call them, something. If he was in county lockup, the next time he'd see Sophia, she'd be 35. If he made it that long, which was doubtful. Going once, going twice, the judge said. Plus, if he took the judge's deal, how would any of his gangmates find out? Even the ones that had been in jail with him kept to themselves. But he knew how things worked. The rumor mill would be in full swing. They knew he was going up for his third strike, knew he would be sentenced to at least 30 in county. There was no way around it, as far as anyone knew. The word would travel somehow to the Pacoima Cholos already in county that they should be expecting a new arrival. When he didn't arrive, would they notice? Would they care? Would they put out an all-points bulletin of sorts that he was missing? What are you doing? Raoul's lawyer hissed. Well, the judge said, that's unfortunate. I guess you don't appreciate my grace, so I'll take it. I'll take it, your honor, Raoul blurted. The judge smiled. His lawyer sighed in relief. Good choice, son. I'll call the recruiter back and let him know to come pick you up. Now listen, I'm really going out on a limb for you here. If you get out there and mess up, you'll be right back here in front of me and I won't feel the slightest remorse about issuing you the maximum sentence. Is that clear? Yes, Your Honor. You must complete at least one full enlistment and receive an honorable discharge. If you do so, all charges will be dropped. I'll put a few more stipulations in my written ruling which your lawyer will go over with you. That is all, Mr. Diaz. Make me proud, son, and don't make me regret this. Adjourned, the judge said as the gavel dropped. You've been listening to By the Fire, and I really hope you enjoyed what you heard. Why don't you let me know one way or the other? Leave me a review on Apple or on Podchaser. Or you can send me an email, info at davesmail.com. Also, if you go to my website... And sign up for my newsletter, you'll get a free novella, Safe House. 
I'll be back next week with another chapter of Captured. So until then, thanks again and God bless. This is a work of fiction. Names, characters, businesses, places, events, and incidents are either the products of the author's imagination or used in a fictitious manner. Any resemblance to actual persons, living or dead, or actual events is purely coincidental.